0: We head into the great outdoors to show the importance of getting kids involved in nature. Actually, it's quite apt because today is International Orangutan Day. So, Aww. good day to head into the wild. And our special guest today is Trudy Bennett. Trudy's the co founder of Educated by Nature. She's also an education consultant, a nature educator, and a nature connection mentor. That, that was not a worth critic, yeah. <laughs> Trinity also has a string of qualifications, qualifications in nature-based education and twenty first century teaching philosophies. She's an education consultant and she's a creative practitioner with Form, Building a State of Creativity. Wow, some credentials there. Welcome, Trudy. Thank you very much. Di and I are really thrilled to have you today. Hi, Di. Hello. It was a mouthful for you, wasn't it? It was a lot going on Yeah, there's a lot going on in that intro. We have to introduce people with all their proper qualifications and credentials, and you (laughs) have a lot there. Um, Trudy, what made you want to pursue a career in connecting children with nature?
1: Well, I've always loved nature and uh, mentoring from a very, very young age growing up. And um, I ended up teaching at a most wonderful school called Bold Park Community School where we were able to try different things. So this is where, you know, sort of learning different um, techniques in education for that 21st century learning. And um, our fabulous uh, principal, Gillian McAuliffe, uh, challenged uh, my co-teacher and I um, to take Children outside two whole days a week to teach the whole curriculum. Wow. Um, and so that's a, such a generous amount of yeah. time, and you know, it's quite a risk taking thing for an agency. Is that near Hill? Uh, that's where Bold Park is, yes, but that's um, right. it's City Beach. near yeah. uh, Lake Munger. Now the oh, school itself, okay. yes, mm. and so we had this little wild space um, at the like boundary fence to the school with trees mm. and different things, and so we started teaching uh, children in this outdoor space through what they were interested in. So we started with cubby building because that's what they were interested in, mm. um, and it evolved to learning about Australian politics through cubbies. Wow, you know, and just amazing things, mm. and you know, engineering through cubby building, um, and integrating as much of the curriculum as we could. We had quite a high percentage of children in the class with anxiety. We had children that didn't want to come to school, uh, children that were afraid of starting work. And when we were outside, it dramatically changed. They were so mm. engaged, so motivated, so felt curious, free, right? so free. Mm-hmm. Uh, the class felt so much smaller outside because mm. that energy that gets trapped in amongst walls and a yeah. roof can just dissipate. Right. Um, and so all this um, angst in the children just dissipated. I have
2: to, wow. as, a, as a former teacher, I have to ask you this. When you're writing classroom plans and lessons, it's a lot of work that goes into that. So you really had to think outside the box to yeah. make this happen. How you did, have to you flip call? it. You have to flip yeah, okay. it. So, um, And that's
1: where it's a risk as an educator because you don't know what's going to happen. Mm, it's like, OK, hard. we're going to start here and this is what I'm going to introduce and then I'm going to watch what the students are doing, see what they're interested in, and then afterwards say, okay, that's this part of the curriculum and that's part this part of the curriculum. Yeah. So you need to know the curriculum really well and have that internalised and be able to just pop
2: things in. But I love that because a lot of teachers fear change. A lot of teachers mm. are stuck in the four walls of a classroom because they, they feel mm. like they've got to have this structured um, dot point day, you know. That mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic you took that risk. And it's a big cultural change for the teacher
1: and the students too because usually the outdoors is children's domain. It's their lunchtime yeah. play where they can so do whatever they want. So there's could, a big cultural change of saying, okay, this is a learning space here too now. Mm-hmm. And this is the expectation. And they blown. adapted
0: well. They didn't sort of drift off like looking at the trees There was and a couple birds. of times we
1: had to say, "Like, okay, everyone, you're not living up to the expectations we're setting. We're going back to the classroom. Um and then we went out again and you know until okay, this is what they the expectation injured. is, we actually need to prove what we're learning in this space. Um and then they yeah, they were all on board and really, really enthusiastic. That's fantastic. So we just wanted to share that with other educators. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. love that. Um, so
0: that's great. I, I've actually seen the Educated by Nature programs firsthand because I had my grandson and, and granddaughter there. We did a few of them at Crawley, which is a gorgeous place to mm. do it, and the children really loved it. And in a nutshell, you specialize in outdoor classrooms, as you're just talking about. So there were lots of, lots of raft building and huts, and they came up fire safety with you know learning how to make fires, and uh, so. Can you just give us an overview of what your programs are and what you hope to achieve for the children who participate in them? Yeah,
1: so my colleague Daniel Burton and I, who set up um, Educated by Nature, and so he was teaching with me, we wanted to bring like this essence of childhood play uh, really like what you know we would have done in the olden days or well, when oh. I was growing up you know we were out in the bush oh, playing so you know, camping, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know be able to offer that to children so it's really about designing a community for children so we bring children together to form mm-hmm. that community to be able to then play in nature like we have as a community for, for decades mm-hmm. centuries that we're starting to lose now.
2: Well, you know why We're losing it. And Di, you'll um, understand this as well. Children are all on fr- in front of their screens. They're chatting through their screens with one another. They're not mm. building that community that you're talking about where they're face-to-face um, making those connections. Yeah, and we're doing that as adults
1: too, aren't we? You know, mm. we see how addictive our devices are. You are. Know? I tend to go on, like, Facebook and it's like, okay, what's my community doing and doing it in a digital way? And half an you know? hour's
0: gone and it yeah. feels like five minutes. That's yeah, right. absolutely. Um, And
1: so it's like, how do we as adults, how do we as children reform that sense of community? And so, so I love our after-school clubs. So yeah. we um, meet once a week at a particular location, and then it's a community that the children know that they're going to be there once a week. It's you know totally unplugged. It's play. It's um, ability to take risks, like climbing trees oh. or you know having a campfire. Those kind of things, um, and the children look forward to that every week and, and, and the they know rafts that's going to be there. T- tell us about the also, rafts. So summer great. school holiday it. program. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've got just like that the Huckleberry Finn kind yeah, of you know I love thing. It. You know, is what you've got to visit pikes. on next
2: school holidays. Yeah,
1: mm. <laughs> And it's that sense of adventure. So it's how do we build a sense of adventure for children? Because that's what they're really, you know, seeking mm. out. So the work of children's play, way that the children learn is play. And to make that really exciting, it's about adventure. Mm. And so what's more adventurous than, you know, building a raft, getting on it, seeing if you can mm. float, how many kids can float on it, where can you go on this raft. Um, and all, all
2: I'm hearing here is do friendships, yeah. cooperation, collaboration, fun. kids learning, fun, Yeah.
1: catching jellyfish, oh. so it's still that connection Amazing. with nature as well. Mm. Yeah. Amazing.
0: And Trudy, I'm also fascinated to hear more about your training in the art of mentoring nature connection philosophy. and also on from that, how you use that experience in deep nature connection and grief work. Mm. So yeah.
1: um, the art of mentoring is a, a, we call it a philosophy, but it's started by um, a fellow called John Young in America. And Daniel and I in 2016 were really um, privileged to attend um, an art of mentoring week where it was like a camping week out in the forest with 250 people that were practicing a particular social technology. And so the art of mentoring is in by Indigenous communities from around the world, so um, particularly uh, First Americas, but also in Botswana, the San Kalahari Desert people there. Mm. We've got an anthropology friend in Queensland who's been chatting to Aboriginal communities in central Queensland, and they see that, you know, it really fits well for them as well. So it's about having a look, what has worked really, really well for nature connection and community connection in Indigenous communities, and then how can we express that in a system and a model that Western people can understand? And then how can we use that to apply it to our lives to try and build cultural repair and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, change to our community because we've changed a lot in the last 100 years, but our genetics hasn't changed that much. Mm -hmm. But our culture's changed and we've had to adapt really, really fast. But Which our, is why we're not
2: coping yeah. mentally oh, no. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm our not. bodies and our instincts um, are meant to be deeply conne- connected with nature and community, but this rapid change in our society mm. um, has meant that um, we've had to adapt really quickly and we haven't been able to keep up. No. You know How do we still retain those roots that Good. are really important to us?
0: Yeah. I, I love your whole philosophy, Trudy. I think it's amazing. It's fabulous and and it's and it's so right for now. Probably, you know, better late than never because thank goodness for people like you. You know, I mean, it's really wonderful. And when you're
1: talking about, like, grief work, you know, um, and one thing that really struck me about this philosophy is, you know, the four pillars that they have for um, cultural repair. And this is four things that we all need to have as human beings to be really content and happy and well connected. Um, The first one is, like, daily care. Uh, connection routines with nature so Mm. whether it's going for a wander or just sitting still and listening, journaling, that kind of thing. Um, Second one is to have mentors and the real importance of being deeply listened to every day Mm. and you know you think about how many people are listened to deeply Mm. every day. Very few. In Africa they say it's like three times a day, you need it three times Mm. a day in this African community Um, and then to be a mentor to others. Really, really important. So you mm. feel like you've got a role in a the sense community. of purpose. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then grief processing. And it's something we don't do very well in the West at no. all, is this grief processing. Um, for children, we think that's like play. You mm. know, it's playing um, how you're meant to play as kids to be able to work through things mm. um, and then having that mentor to be able to listen to you.
0: Absolutely. Wow, it's amazing. So, Di, let's bring you right into the playground because... Um I'd like to hear what you've got to say. There's so many benefits for children in nature, connecting with nature, aren't there?
2: Oh, there's so many benefits, which is why I was so excited to talk to Trudy today, because Mm. um, I think we all need to understand that nature has such positive benefits for our children. Um, It reduces depression. It can increase a child's concentration and their cognitive skills. So for all those parents that worry about how is my child performing um, academically, people know that my catch cry is that if you want a child to perform academically, you need to make sure they're socially and emotionally well. And nature helps kids have that social and emotional wellness. And kids who, who play outside, they have better gross motor skills. And they have, um, they're able to um, do things that other kids who are sitting in front of a computer screen all day can't do it because they're not practising it on a day-to-day oh. basis. Oh. It also um, is very good for lessening uh, body inflammation. So all those aches and pains that children are getting at a younger and younger age um, can be reduced when we're out in nature. And when children are connected to nature, they behave positively towards nature and they start mm. caring about the planet.
0: Mm. And
2: I think that's super important, especially right now, where you know everyone's worried about climate change and the fact that our next generation is saying um, we want to make make a
0: difference. Yeah. yeah. Trudy, your tagline is resilience through connection. So that's sort of following on from what dice just said. So how do you, how do you specifically build resilience with the children when they're connecting to nature? So I guess we've just yeah, said it. A, 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 yeah. couple,
1: a couple of things. Um, mm. So firstly, that sense of play um, helps children form their own identity. What do they love? What are they curious about? Um, that sense of purpose in life too, about mm. you know being with other people in a community. So that's really really important to know yourself. Uh, the next thing that I think is really really important is being able to take a risk. And there's some psychologists that have been doing some studies on risk mm. and that link with. anxiety. And so you need to be able to take risks to know that you have the skills and capacity um, to be able to get through a fearful situation. So if you're presented with fear, again, you know that you've got what it takes to get through that. Mm. And if you don't know that, then that's a precursor to anxiety. Which is why
2: helicopter parenting is not a fantastic idea. No, not a fantastic idea. Stopping children from taking those risks.
1: And risks these days in nature can go from sitting on the ground. There's so many children that are afraid to sit on the ground because they're fearful of an ant coming and biting their bottom. Or getting dirty. Or getting dirty and getting told off when they get home for getting their clothes dirty. You know, so these risks are very, very simple. And then it can stretch to climbing a tree and having that fear Mm. of heights and overcoming that too.
0: Mm. Amazing. So... We've talked about the programs after school. What other services do you have at Educator? Yeah, and then there's that school
1: holiday program called Kin Village, where the children spend the whole day from nine to four with us, totally outside. Um, totally unplugged. And we do our woodworking, cubby building, rafts in summer, yeah, fire in right. winter. Yeah. Um, lots of um, engagement as a community. And mm. our staff are trained as mentors to be there to deeply listen to children and then help them achieve the goals they want to. And then we go out to schools and um, we run incursions as a way to model to educators. These are some of the like loose parts plague ideas that you can do in your school. This is how you can bring some curriculum elements outside through play Uh um, which we really really love Um, and now we're doing lots of uh, mentoring of teachers so that's through our consultancy arm so um, I'm working with child care centre at the moment trying to help them change their philosophy to a nature-led learning philosophy Um, and Daniel's working with several schools as well trying to help teachers start up things like bush schools and what does that look like
0: wow how exciting it's fantastic really exciting Di Wilcox you know, I'm always banging on about things sounding great in mm. theory, but putting them in practice is another thing. So I think most people know what we should do, or maybe they don't. People have sort of forgotten the art of going outside and doing that, as we've said. But getting kids outside is one of those things we probably all know we should do. But it's not always a done deal. And probably you touched on it before. The hardest thing is dragging them away from their devices. That's mm. a real challenge. do you've Absol- got any tips on how we can actually achieve getting them off the device and getting them outside because that's one of the toughest things, I think. Look,
2: I've had first-hand experience watching children who have almost completely had a meltdown because they've been told to Mm -hmm. put their device down or switch off the TV or um, put their phone away. And I think what we do as parents is we... We choose our battles, but what I think we need to be doing is sitting down as a family and working out what are going to be the expectations and boundaries in our household when it comes to devices. So we don't do this while the child's on the device. We make a time where we plan a family meeting, and as a family, we go, okay, this is how much time we're going to spend on our devices, and we work it out. But you schedule some nature time in there. So I've got a 14-year-old, and she's year nine at high school. She's so busy with study, I Mm. make sure we schedule in game of soccer. Mm. She walks with me every day or goes Mm. for a run. And we deliberately put nature Mm. into her schedule because I know the benefits it has for her. Mm. And parents, we need to stop being afraid to say no. We need to take control of what's happening in our households, not while the child's having the meltdown or the temper tantrum. We put a plan in place way before that happens. So when children know what the boundaries and expectations are and the consequence for not listening to them, we've got more likelihood of getting follow through.
0: Yeah. Trudy, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Um,
1: And I think for uh, adults it's about loving nature yourself and really enjoying Mm. those daily nature connections for yourself too because yeah it's that role modeling for children Mm -hmm. putting down our phones um, and going out into nature and spending some family time not on our phone in nature but actually being
0: curious and exploring It's, it's like when you start going to the gym at first it's a bit of a slog and then or pilates or whatever it is and then then you get to the stage where you can't miss it. And it's the same. Becomes a that. habit. Yeah. Yeah. We used to take the kids every afternoon after school down to the park. And then I found there were less and less parents coming. And this is recently, it's not my children, it's grandchildren. And they were all rushing off. Everybody. And we'd be the ones at the park and there weren't even as many there, some of the very young ones. But I thought, gee, everyone is just getting so busy and so caught up. So we we start doing it again because it's just so important. Mm. We um, so
1: grief processing for for adults in nature connection. One of the fantastic things you can do for yourself mm. is to have uh, what's called a sit spot, and basically it's a meditation out in nature. Mm. Um, and meditation is really hard because you're trying to quieten your mind. And when you're so busy, your mind's mm. going a bullet a gate. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really really fast. Um, and so in nature, it's about uh, choosing one thing to focus on. And replacing all the busyness, all that monkey talk in your brain with one thing in nature. So it could be listening to the really quiet sounds that are around, Mm. paying attention to what the birds might be saying, um, having a look at different colours um, and spending time every day in nature, whether it's in your front garden with a cup of tea or um,
2: down in your local bushland It's not that hard if you focus on it. And with summer coming
0: up, grounding at the beach. Oh, yeah. That's so good for Melting
2: into the sand. Yeah. Yeah, It's
0: it's lovely. Trudy, we're seeing a lot more natural playgrounds being set up by schools and councils, and I really love them. I, I don't like the big plastic steel, brightly coloured. I know they look great. Kids might love them, but I love it when you see they're using lots of wood and they've got streams. What's that fabulous one? Naturescape at Kings Park that I loved. I yes, Naturescape. Yeah. If you I haven't been that. there, anyone listening, it is fabulous. It's just the kids get their feet in the water, the bush. It's really pretty, lots of climbing. A beautiful. It's a really gorgeous space. So. Um, Why do you think this is happening, this change? And obviously it's benefiting the children. And apart from Kings Park, you're everywhere. Are there any other places that you'd recommend for that wonderful nature play? So,
1: um... The whole Nature Connection movement is growing hugely over the last few years, which is Mm. really, really exciting. And one thing that's been happening is these nature playgrounds are being put in um, and they've got fantastic textures and it's just helping us get back to nature Mm. through using something as simple as a log um, as a play device. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, schools and lots of different public parks are putting in these playgrounds. What I would suggest, though, uh, for parents is often um, we find playgrounds as a, a kind of a secure place to go because it's um, something like tangible and you know, okay, there's some logs arrayed like this and a slide and it has an invitation for my child to interact in this particular way. But what I would encourage is to get to know your local bushland. So take your children to the local bushland. And some parents I've talked to have been a little bit worried about doing this. It's like, well, what do we do when we get there? And it's about um, being curious along with your child. So, you know, what kind of bugs can you find? What are those small details that you can be really grateful for and pick out? Oh, look at all those colours in the leaf and, oh, what's this strange bump on this stick here? Mm. And when you get curious, this is where you get a spark of joy for life. And um, having that adventure with a child through a mm. bushland can be really, really um, fun. That's yeah, so true. Even, you
2: know, what I used to love doing with my daughter is laying on the grass, looking up at the clouds and making stories out mm. of the clouds You know like, and telling yeah. each other, that making things up. She'd yeah. giggle and laugh. And it was just such a beautiful bonding moment mm. as well. Yeah. And that's a type of sit spot too, because yeah. you're just yeah. like,
1: you know, you're relaxing, you're quieting your mind and you're focusing on one thing in nature and that's clouds. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think our children are becoming so aware of taking care of our planet. They really are. And as older adults, we are too. But I watched a Sir David Attenborough documentary on Netflix. It's the latest one, if you haven't. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. isn't it wonderful? But I was getting a bit depressed because it was like, oh, mm-hmm. the world's coming to an end. And then at the end, bless him, he gave us hope. And I, and, and I thought, oh, gosh, it, it's it's so important. But we do have to act now. But I just wanted to read you this quote from... I follow this um, native red cloud on Twitter. And I love this quote from Crazy Horse. It says, "'Treat the earth well. It was not given to you by your parents. It was loaned to you by your children. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children.'" And we were speaking earlier, Trudy, about some of the indigenous peoples around the world, Indians in Africa, and you were sharing the village concept mm-hmm. and how they treat the earth and how they're just far more in touch than we are. And we've got a lot to learn from them, don't we? Yeah,
1: so the, this uh, uh, Kalahari San people in Botswana we uh, were talking before about um, how to bring up a child as a village. And so the role of the parent is to love their children, And mm. it's the role of the aunts and uncles to do the discipline and say, you know, oh, that was the wrong thing and here, you need to do it this way. Um, and so we've lost that sense of being a village for mm. our community. So um, I'm an aunt and so I'm constantly thinking, well, how can I be um, an aunt in a modern culture for my nephew? Mm. And um,
0: I think that's a really, really important and part of community. Yes, and in terms of how they respect the earth mm-hmm. and, and everything it gives to us yep. they, they don't take that for granted and they, they tune into it
1: and they're part of it so yeah. I think uh, in western cultures we see our set self as separate to nature. Mm. And we have built um, houses to shelter ourselves from nature. So we're not living within nature anymore. Mm. So to reconnect ourselves with nature is the best thing we can do for sustainability. So first we need to fall in love with nature again. Um, and our children need to love nature. And then we need to be curious about nature. We need to see all the small, fine details of nature mm. because then when we're curious about nature, we can see the patterns in nature and then we can tell when that pattern changes. Like, oh, you know, I used to see these grey fan around my house, you know, years ago and they haven't been here anymore. Why is that? And then that curiosity um, and can lead to grief and that's really important You know, oh, why have the grey fountains gone? Why are all the trees in my neighbourhoods getting chopped down? This is making me really sad. Mm. And then sitting with that grief, and that grief is really important, and then uh, using that grief to activate. So, oh, okay, I want to find out why these grey fountains have disappeared. All right, it's because... Uh, we don't have any shrubs anymore with twigs. We've got parklands with big trees and no undergrowth and no middle storey. All right, so I'm going to plant some shrubs in my backyard mm. to make a space for these little birds to be protected.
0: That's so gorgeous. Isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And and schools now are responding to it. They are, I notice, you know, they're taking children out in nature more. And Di, we're talking about a lot of the news being about negativity, climate change. Mm. How... And the children are frightened. How, how's it affecting mm. them, and um, how do we help them with this fear when it is so real? Because they're just bombarded constantly. Yeah, aren't and they? I think
2: um, we make the mistake as adults thinking that we shelter them by not talking to them about some of these topics. Um, children, their fear grows when we don't feel like we can talk about something. So they would rather have an open conversation. So I was doing some research, and I found a psychologist um, who actually had a suggested script. It's from a website called NPR, and it says this. This is what you would say to children. Humans are burning lots and lots of fossil fuels for energy. In planes, in cars, to light our houses, and that's putting greenhouse gases into the air. Those gases wrap around the planet like a blanket and make everything hotter. A hotter planet means bigger storms. It melts ice at the poles so oceans will rise. It makes it harder for animals to find places to live. And it's a really, really big problem and there are a lot of smart people working hard on it and there's also lots that we can do as a family to help. So what I loved about that is it's stating fact but it's also saying there's hope. There's mm-hmm. hope because we're going to do something about it. And I was just saying to Trudy, I have a 14-year-old who will say, Mum, please don't use Glad wrap." Let's find Mm. a container that we can put things in. Um, What can we recycle? Um, Mm. How can we use less power and water? Uh, What can we plant in the garden? Mm. And by having these conversations with my child, I'm understanding she wants to be part of change. Mm. And I think when we empower our kids to be part of that change, we give them hope.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and having
2: that family conversation. And And then maybe you can do
1: two at the same time. Can you have an adventure to the shops? Uh, the most greenest route that you can and then everyone needs to help carry um, all those shopping back home rather than using a car
2: and and also when you go shopping uh, what can you use as an alternative to a plastic bag and uh, it's great that that supermarkets are stopping those plastic bags now it's fantastic for our
0: kids yeah it is so there's a lot that children can do to get involved in saving the planet and uh, so they're empowered by the change Trudy you have been the most amazing guest Thank you. Just, I love everything. I'm so inspired. the whole day. No, (laughs) she's really inspiring. And it's just great to know there's people like you. You're an angel. Walking the planet and helping save it. And you're doing so many wonderful things for children. And I hope everybody's had some benefit from the conversation we've had today. Um, look, maybe we can expand on it and bring you back again another day. I'd love it's that. just been really, really great. A real eye-opener. And uh, fantastic. Di, thanks as always. No, always thank great. you. It's always such a
2: pleasure. Thank you, Di. And thank you, Trudy. Thank you. And
0: thanks, everyone, for listening.